At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Welcome to Healthcare Americana coming to you from the Freedom Doc Studios. I am your host, Christopher Habig, CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. This is a podcast for the 99% of people who get care in America. We talk to innovative clinicians, policymakers, patients, caregivers, executives, and advocates who are fed up with the status quo and have a desire to change it. We take you behind the scenes with people across America that are putting patients first and restoring trust in American healthcare. Now, I'm one of those people that loves competition across the medical spectrum. And the reason why I mention this is that there are so many smart, motivated, empathetic people who have explored careers, callings, I guess, uh, in healthcare, that I want to give them a voice. And one of those groups where we've had on before and they're doing amazing work in a handful of states where they are actually recognized are naturopathic physicians. Please welcome Dr. Ryan Campbell, naturopathic physician at Seattle, Washington, with his practice, Good Med Direct Primary Care. Dr. Campbell, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. Yeah, thanks for having me, Christopher. I'm happy to be here and happy to have a conversation today. Now, I want to hit the uh, hit kind of the gorilla in the room here, elephant in the room, gorilla on your back, Monk. <laughs> elephant in the room. Let me do that. Um, naturopathic medicine is something that is only recognized in a few states. And we've had some other naturopathic physicians on the show, and they gave great little bit breakdowns of it. You are a naturopathic physician in the great state of Washington. What does that mean? What has that licensing procedure, medical board, however you want to describe it, what can you do? What can you not do compared to what I'm going to call traditional medical doctor, MDs, DOs? Yeah. Yeah. So in Washington state, we're, we're lucky that our scope is, is pretty broad. And so everything that an MD, DO is able to do in a primary care setting, we essentially um, have a license to do that with the exception of some of our prescribing scope. And so the limitations there are at controlled substances. And so that's your opiates, your amphetamines, your uh, benzodiazepines. Those are primarily kind of the areas where um, where that issue might come up. But aside from that, all the legend medications we're able to to prescribe no problem. We do minor office procedures here at the clinic, and um, as far as referrals, ordering imaging, ordering labs, all that stuff, we're we're able to do. Pretty comprehensive there. Give me a little bit because um, obviously your practice is called Good Med Direct Primary Care. Walk us through kind of when you had that that moment that, you know, you're like, ah, I want to be a doctor. I want to go to medical school because you have kind of a little different path than what most people have had as far as trying to pick medical schools, essentially. Right. In your experiences, walk us through kind of those early days and then we'll eventually get to where you are right now. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. Say so the journey started back in undergrad. I was uh, studying mechanical engineering and uh, had just wrapped up, I think it was probably a three-month stint working as a student at Honda, 
So, you know, in Ohio, there's a lot of manufacturing. And so it's not uncommon to be in an engineering program and then take breaks and pauses. And so there's a co-op program. So I, I did a stint there and that experience sort of kind of opened my eyes to, to what I, what, at least what I didn't want to do. And I, I still didn't have a clear path forward as far as uh, any sort of career goals. But, you know, while I was an undergrad, I was I was like, well, I'm going to hedge some bets here. I'm going to take some extra classes while I'm working on this engineering degree. And, you know, so that added in some biology, some organic chemistry and uh, was like, you know, if I if I do want to apply to med school sometime in the future, I don't want to have to come back and sort of check those boxes. So, so wait, let me let me get this straight, because I, I think anybody listening to what you just said right there might have had a heart attack. You're a mechanical engineering student who said, you know what, I'm kind of bored. I'm going to go choose to take organic chemistry as my backup plan? Yeah, well, I mean, when you look at the prerequisites for, for applying to medical school, the engineering program actually checks, you know, several of those boxes from the calculus to, to, to general chemistry. And so, you know, there's really not that many additional courses um, to do uh, in order to have those boxes checked. So, yeah, I, I just decided to go for it and extend my undergraduate career you know, just in case was kind of my, my thinking. And at that point I had my brother's fiance or wife at that point was in medical school and was like, ah. and I had had a, a couple of classmates from, from high school who, uh, who actually went from the engineering to medical school track. And so like, I had that example in my head as, as something that was a possibility and knew that that, that kind of sets you up as being a, a more unique candidate versus someone who took a, a general pre-medical biology major yeah, chemistry exactly. major going into yep. that and and look i i'm one of those people i took all the med, pre-med requirements i actually enjoyed organic chemistry so i, I kind of said that tongue-in-cheek so do you see a lot of parallels in an engineering mindset and in you know what you were studying from a more of a sciences kind of a pre-med medical school mindset that was a big transition that was that was hard um from sort of the the, the problem solving that's used in undergrad or in, in an engineering type program to, to at least what the coursework looks like in, in um, the pre-medical programs or, or med school even. But I think the, 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 at the end of the day, sort of the systems and the, and the process that you would, you would use to actually solve a problem or, or try and try and determine what's going on. It's pretty similar. So I think that some, you know, I, I can't think of any of the, the actual, sort of direct engineering classes that, that I took back then, you know, applying those concepts now, except for the, for the ability to, to sort of frame up a problem and, and sort of start to dissect it. I think that's interesting. And, and again, just out of curiosity here, I'm kind of comparing these and, and um, it's just a path we don't see very often because engineering, there's very much like, I'm going to overgeneralize, but there's black and white. If this doesn't work, then you got two avenues to go through until, you know, you get to the solution over here. Science, you follow the basic scientific method or should, I would say. But there's so many times where you hear somebody say, you know what, medicine is really an art. The practice of medicine is really an art because things are always changing, always evolving. You can see one problem here present itself that is completely different underneath from somebody else over here, yet it's still presenting in the same way. So that's what kind of... Like, stuck in my head when you're saying that i'm like wow there are parallels but there yet yet again it's almost like a rewiring of your of your problem solving brain functions yeah i can see that yeah the 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 landscape yeah engineering there's less emerging evidence i would say sort of in that field um technology is always evolving but in medicine yeah there's this kind of constant flood of sort of uh 
of new information, kind of deeper understandings of, of biological processes. But I think, yeah, I think the, you know, the, the, the most basic way that you would frame up a problem is, is consistent, you know, through, through all of that. Yeah. So obviously you did not choose to continue a career in engineering. No. Yeah. So, so after I graduated, I, I knew pretty clearly that I wasn't going to pursue a, a career as a mechanical engineer. And so, so then I, you know, I took the MCAT kind of in the same way I took the pre-medical courses as well. I might as well take that while everything's fresh. And, <laughs> and then it was like, well, I might as well apply to school while, you know, my, my MCAT scores, you know, relevant. And before I knew it, I was interviewing, uh, and found myself sitting in the auditorium on my first day of um, medical school. Um, that was back in Ohio and I had started at, um, osteopathic school down in, in Athens, Ohio there. And, uh, yeah, did about 10 weeks there and then took a pause. So I got to ask mm-hmm. 10 weeks, what happened? Yeah. So in the, the first 10 weeks, the program was great. And I, I actually struggled when I, when I transferred to naturopathic school, um, just with the difference and in, in sort of the structure academically, but the, what they do at OU, which is really great is that they start pairing you up with, with practitioners in the community. And so I did a stint with, uh, one of the physical therapists at the athletic center there. I did another stretch, uh, with a family physician in a nearby town and, um, and that just was kind of worked into your to your week. So I got a I got a pretty clear example of what it would be like as a primary care physician practicing within the insurance system, kind of with the you know the current like typical practice model. And this would have been kind of mid mid two thousands, and uh, it scared the crap out of me. So I, what I felt like at that moment in my, in my mid twenties was like, I could see it was like the next 40 years of my life were just like pre-programmed and that the next thing I would remember would be hanging up my white coat when I retired. And part of me was looking for a little more adventure, but the other part of me, that example of what a typical kind of small, small practice would look like did not appeal to me at all. And, uh, you know, it was, um, kind of, you know, typical, typical thing that you would, you would expect kind of eight to 10 minute visits, you know, another prescription out the door. And this, this was like a really well-respected clinician in the area. And my takeaway was like, man, we are just not serving people. And I was like, if that is my future, like I'm going to figure out a different way. That's so interesting. And and I wonder, because I know this exists, like you, you're not the only person who's had that experience. You can't be. I wonder how many of our best and brightest are completely turned away from medicine, primary care in general, based on the look at this and like, this isn't, this isn't what it should be. This isn't why I'm going to dedicate my life to taking care of other people. Like the business model is so fundamentally broken. Yeah. And, and it, and it like, scares me. I, I mean, thank God you stayed in medicine. I'll say that. Yeah. Like, how many people look at that? And be like, I'm going to go do something else because, you know, this whole thing. I had, you know, my life set on this, my heart set on it for my entire life, and this reality is is nowhere close to what I've always imagined over these years. Yeah. I mean, that that has to happen all over the country. Yeah, and I just I'd say maybe I was a little different in that. Uh, you know, my dream of being a doctor <laughs> wasn't from my earliest memories. You know, I didn't come from a, a long line of physicians, and it certainly wasn't expected that I would 
uh, follow in that path. And so at that point, I was like, yeah, I'll pivot. It's no big deal. It's, a, um, it's my backup anyways. But, why not? <laughs> yeah, it was, a, you know, it, it was, you know, I kind of just circumstantially found myself in med school. But, you know, I left school thinking like, man, if I if what I really want to do is to teach people how to be healthy, like if there's a way to do that, then I'm in like that. That part was interesting to me. Prescribing medications, kind of a quick um, those quick visits. Um, you know, essentially was not getting deep enough and not really addressing kind of deeper problems. And it's that key development, what you just said, that, that key term and that key emphasis on wanting to keep people healthy. We're going to touch up on that. We're going to hear back quick message from our sponsor, Freedom HealthWorks. If you're struggling to convert interested people into members of your direct care practice, you are not alone. Top challenge reported direct care is patient sales. Whether you dread potential patient calls because sales makes you uncomfortable or because you are simply occupied with taking care of people, Freedom might have a great solution for you. Freedom HealthWorks Enrollment Desk Service includes a dedicated patient sales team for your practice across all U.S. time zones, live data measuring your total calls, leads, conversions, answer rates, and more. And finally, full prospect tracking from first contact through membership so nobody ever slips through the cracks. Contact Freedom HealthWorks at 307-804-1203. Or visit freedomhealthworks.com to chat with a team member or schedule a demo. We are back with Dr. Ryan Campbell from Good Med Direct Primary Care in the beautiful city of Seattle, Washington. Dr. Campbell, we were just talking about the break. You know, your background going into medical school, being turned off. Like this isn't why I wanted to become a a physician, and you kind of had a, a non traditional route, I would call it. So you get into, you know, you're at naturopathic school and you get out. What was that first day out when you're like, okay, now I got to go in a living? Yeah. After naturopathic school, you have about this six month break kind of built in. So you have to take boards and then you have to wait for your license to show up. And so at that point, that gives you the breathing space to either start your own business or kind of get the framework kind of built out for that. And that was one thing I did. And at that point in time, I found a place to practice down in Eugene, Oregon. And I started commuting from Seattle down to Eugene, spending a few days down there and then coming back with the idea that we would kind of transition our lives from Seattle down to down to Oregon. And at that practice, it was an established cash-based practice. And so I just took on their model when I joined them. And that was kind of how I, that was how I got started right out of school, kind of establishing the the business entity and putting that framework together at that point. So I spent, I think the first year and a half down there. So then you come back home and is that when you decide like, you know what, I'm going to strike out on my own. I'm going to build my own practice. Yeah, no. When I landed back in Seattle or got a job back up here, um, I started working for a clinic that had um, uh, multiple providers and uh, insurance-based practice, very traditional clinic style. So I hopped in there and spent the next 12 months in that environment and then decided to go out on my own from that point. And you are a clinic, so you've been in operation you know, before the COVID pandemic hit us. I'm curious about because obviously you're still in business. I'm curious about your experience as a practice owner versus some of those, you know, a practice owner, let me say this, in the DPC model, in the membership care model, versus somebody who, you know, was a colleague of yours in what I'm going to call the traditional healthcare system. Compare and contrast your experiences as business owners and then as physicians during the pandemic. Yeah, 
I think as physicians, probably pretty similar, but when everything started shutting down, I was very grateful that we had an established DPC practice. So a lot of the other clinic owners had to just kind of shut down for a while. They just, they had to take a pause. So they were no longer able to, to meet their operating costs with the decrease in patient visits. And uh, we just kind of maintained operation as usual. Our office visit rate went down, but we still tried to offer as much value as, as we could and made it clear to our patients that we were still seeing people. And so it took a little while for the reality of sort of the economics and the impacts to not necessarily the direct economic impact to, to our clinic, but realizing that we weren't necessarily entirely safe due to the economic impacts of our patient base. And so we did have some attrition, mostly mostly due to life circumstances, um, people being laid off, uh, not having any income for a while, or um, another common scenario was folks actually leaving the city because they were now working remotely and, you know, they weren't tied necessarily as tightly to, to the place. And so, we had some attrition due to due to just changing in locale. Uh, so that was that was kind of our experience. But I did feel really bad for a lot of my colleagues who um, who just their their revenue dried up kind of nearly instantly. They have a business model that is beholden to in office visits, and then lo and behold, government order said you can't see anybody in person anymore. Well, see ya. You're a non-performing asset, and uh, yeah, I, I think you know from our standpoint. I think a lot of physicians were just shocked by how quickly that they were dropped and forgotten. They're like, I have given decades of my life to this hospital. I've done amazing things. And all of a sudden it's, yep, see ya. We, you, we can't earn any money off of you anymore. You can't see patients. You're out. Yeah. I think, I think hard reality set in, you know, and, and uh, I tell you if you disagree, agree with this, but I think a lot of physicians and especially ones we see that transition into the DPC model they have this emotional connection to these large patient base and they're like, oh my gosh, the human in me, I can't possibly tell somebody that I'm only taking 500 patients now because I'm used to seeing 2,500. We're on the flip side of that. If a patient's insurance changes or work changes or whatever, they'll call you up and say, hey, doc's been great. See you later. And there's no emotional connection whatsoever. Like It's almost like one-sided. And it's just, it, it points out to me just the kind of individuals that we have going into medicine. I mean, it really does. Like that has a, a so empathetic of these intelligent people and skilled people that who are who are choosing to be doctors and nurses. That it's almost I don't like they get like this hollow feeling when they get when a patient leaves them, but they would jump through hoops and and, and run through fire to keep a patient as, as long as possible. So there are business consequences, but. Any of the psychological kind of aspects? Did any of your colleagues come call you and be like, "Yeah, they shut my office down. I don't really know. I'm kind of lost." No, I never. Nobody ever reached out um, and sort of said, "Hey, can I do what you're doing?" Or you know, help me out. Yeah, nobody. Nobody came and cried on my shoulder. Um, what it did do, it created so much need for fast innovation, and so I think there was like four to eight weeks of like kind of looking around like wondering what was going to happen. And then there's kind of that moment where it's like, I'm either going to lock my doors or I got to figure out this thing real fast. And so, I mean, I think that's one of the, the neatest silver linings to all of this is just sort of the acceleration that happened. 
and the innovation that, that sort of came from it that, you know, pandemic or not, I think ultimately, you know, will serve sort of the, the healthcare customer uh, over time. So it was kind of like this uh, fuel in the fire that, you know, really took telemedicine from kind of being this thing that, yeah, we don't know how to regulate that. It seems a little weird to like everybody needs to be on their video camera. <laughs> I don't know if regulates the right word there, Doc. I think uh, I think it's more of we don't know how to make any money or bill off of that because we don't have insurance code for it. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, because the that- technology <laughs> was there, right? And, and and people that listen to the show were like, "Oh God, here goes Chris again talking about 1990s Skype or whatever the hell it was." We could call across <laughs> oceans. Why can't we do it for medical visits until yeah. <laughs> the 2020 no, pandemic? That's, that's a really I'm good like, point. Ah, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just like, let's. There's a there's a vocab in there. Yeah, no, 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 but you're right. I mean, and that was kind of the big thing that opened up the floodgates. But I think it had to come from the legislators or the insurance commissioners to be like, hey, guys, you got to cover this stuff right now, even though you didn't want to before. Yeah, I mean, go down that list, right? So you have an emergency order signed by governors and and whoever it is that just took down a ton of barriers to innovation. And it's like, oh, I can do virtual visits across state lines. There's a brilliant idea that, you know, we've been trying to, you know, physicians across the country have been trying to get into. Like, what, what are these licensing laws that are just asinine? I mean, there's so many things. And now we're starting to see those peel back. And then, what was it, like six months ago, 12 months ago, like Teladoc's price just, just cratered because now we're starting to see those old walls, those old entrenchments start to be built back up again. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I got to admit, I'm not following all those changes very closely. But yeah, it's fascinating. It, it, it was, I think, a real clear example of what can happen when people are allowed to actually be really creative. Well, I want to keep on that, stay on that vein, because you know earlier you're like, I want to keep people as healthy as I possibly can. And, and you've come out and stated like, my goal is to keep you out of my office. I don't really want to see you in an office. My, my goal is to keep you out of it. And definitely my goal is to keep you out of a specialist office, out of the hospital. But that model that we were just talking about from you know the pandemic and why the hospitals were shutting down is the complete opposite. How do you have that conversation with patients when they come in and say, well, I don't really know what this is. I'm not really sure how to pay. Why should I join your practice? No, that's interesting. I mean, yeah, that, the insurance, you know, the, the understanding of the insurance model, or at least what people think they understand of it, is um, it's really entrenched. And so there's like this... this um, sort of confusion around having insurance equaling healthcare. And, um, you know, it's, it's not true. It's, you know, insurance is kind of like having a ticket to the, to the dance, but you still got to pay for dinner. You still got to buy the, the flowers. You still like, that's just like the starting point when, you know, most people sort of have this insurance card and they think that like, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm covered. I'm invincible. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Like, Yeah. Yeah, but what I, I imagine it's still true is that most bankruptcies are still medically related to, yep. to medical bills. And, and I would wager that most of those people all had health insurance within those circumstances. Correct. It can be a hard conversation. It's hard to get that, that point across. Like why just like kind of that small tweak in how a service is paid for makes a humongous difference. But it really does. You know, so my experience in insurance um, was that you'd maybe get like, for an average patient, maybe two good visits before they start thinking about, man, he asked me to come back again in two more weeks to follow up. And, you know, that's that's this copay. Then the mystery bill that's going to show up for, you know, whatever's not covered by my insurance or the, the amount that's going to go to, to the deductible. And then they drop off. Um, what I love about about DPC is that 
that barrier is kind of removed. And so the um, the concern financially about you know accessing your doctor more frequently or just asking for for resources from your your physician like it's just not it's not there anymore and i think even that's a that that takes some time a frame shift for for folks to realize like oh i can i can send a text message to my doc to to ask them is this thing i just saw a commercial about going to be helpful for me and so i think you know once a patient joins this type of practice there's there's still a lot of education and sort of reprogramming that has to occur to be like, nah, like use us. You know, this is meant to to be a resource for you. Don't feel bad about, don't feel like you're pestering us because you know that's the whole point is is to is to keep folks healthy. Right. And so you know, I really, I I kind of became obsessed about the DPC model back when I was in naturopathic school, someone had pointed me to uh, QLiance, which was kind of a multi, multi-location group here in Seattle. And right at that time, they were they had launched and, and seemed to be doing really well. And so I just kind of followed them for, for years. And just always in the back of my mind was like, man, if I ever open a DPC or a primary care practice, like, that's it. Like, I, I don't think I can do it in any other way because it just makes too much sense. Like, I, I don't know that I could sit with myself <laughs> if I tried to do primary care, knowing that it was just ridiculous. Yeah, quantity over quality. So speaking of QLiance, now I'm curious, what do you think the reason why QLiance is no longer in business? Because they are one of the they are the most high profile DPC network that failed. Yeah, and I have had conversations with I had a conversation with Garrison and then with Erica, his cousin Bliss, a couple of founders of QLiance since then. And, you know, I think ultimately it was, a, uh, you know, I, and I can't speak definitively because I you know, obviously don't have all the details, but I think it was a cash flow issue and it was related to sort of a pilot program that they had with a local Medicaid broker, essentially. And so I think there was uh, some agreements that, that the terms maybe weren't as clearly defined as, as they needed to be to protect key lines. But I, my understanding is they went through a massive, massive rapid expansion taking on the the patients that were that were a part of that medicaid program or that insurance provider for that medicaid group you know so they had to scale really quickly and then their payments were deferred until they could show that insurance provider the value that they had provided and you know i think when it came time to exchange money it didn't go as planned any wisdom you took out of that that you're like, okay, in my practice, I'm going to do this and not this over here because things have happened? Yeah, well, in the beginning, I was like, well, where, where are all the patients and where would there be a need where DPC might fit in really well? And, you know, in my mind, I could make an argument that, well, if you partner with some of the Medicaid programs versus trying to, to partner with some insurance programs, then there is some incentive there, at least from the state level, of, of far, as far as protecting that pot of money. And if you can show value, then then you might have a good kind of win-win partnership that could develop there. So I was kind of thinking about how, how to, you know, where's the need and how to connect with it. And I had known that QLiance had piloted a program like that. And so I had reached out to them to say, hey, what was your experience? And it was pretty much... If you want to be a pure DPC, do not wade into that pond. <laughs> I think you those know, essentially. Are... So, so, <laughs> so, so that was kind of like the steer clear yeah. warning yeah. that I probably needed to hear. And you know, a single provider. Well, there was probably, there was two of us in the clinic, but you know, two providers, one location. Like, 
we we don't have a lot to offer like these large groups to be like, hey, you know, send all your people to to two people. And so, yeah, that kind of led me to to the next place to to kind of consider where where all the patients are, and that's you know with employers, right? And I think that's I think that's the next hurdle for DPC is to to actually really get organized. And I know that there's there's some groups trying to do that. I know Hint has Hint Connect at this point. I had talked with a startup in Detroit for a while. I had tried sort of rallying some troops here in Seattle to try and get everybody on board and started uh, kind of framing out sort of the platform that would be able to to do that. But yeah, that, that doesn't have much traction at the at this point. And I think once we could get that and maintain independence, then I think we can we can get some uh, some real traction. That's that's my thinking. Dr. Campbell, we are uh, getting close to to our time here for this episode. Do you have any words of advice? You know, I, I, I kind of like to frame this. If you could buy a bunch of billboards across the country to speak to physicians about how they should practice medicine or even educate them about this model, oh, what man. would those billboards say? What would you tell those docs? You know, I think it would be something simple like it can be better because it, it can. I mean, part of part of what's so awesome about DPC is just the the, the quality of life. That, that you get back. It's a very relaxed way to, to practice. It's uh, really gratifying to be able to spend the amount of time that you know that your patients need in order to, to establish some of the, the changes that you're asking of them. Yeah, I would say it can get better. So if, if someone's like on the fence about quitting just altogether or taking the leap, it's kind of like, like, what's worse, right? Like, I'd say don't... <laughs> Don't don't let it like rot your soul. Like there is a there's a better way, <laughs> um, and I think that's kind of where organizations like yours really serve an important role. Because a lot of docs they've just been they've they've only practiced medicine and haven't given much thought to to being business owners. And you know there's there's so much there's a whole lot that goes in into sort of you know wearing both hats. And getting some guidance as far as, hey, here's some best practices on how to get established. Here's the resources. Here's kind of the plug and play. I think they'd be surprised to see how actually easy and simple like the business actually can be. You can always wait, make it complicated, but oh, at yeah. the most oh, basic yeah. level, you can complicate things as much as you want. But on the most basic level, like it can be really simple. Like it, for the most part, can run in the background and. There's not there's not a lot that needs a lot of upkeep if you kind of set the pieces up correctly. Yeah, yeah, and I appreciate the kind words. That's kind of why we we've set up services up there as well. So uh, appreciate you uh, joining our community as well. I forgot to mention that earlier. So for everybody listening out there, I said, hey, Doctor Campbell, hope you're happy as a clam with it. And if not, then we'll we'll go ahead and talk offline. But you gave me two thumbs up, and so I love that. <laughs> so I'm gonna get that back to our team, yeah. Doctor Ryan Campbell. Yeah, sure. Uh, Good Med, Direct Primary Care. Thanks for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. That's going to do it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out online at healthcareamericana.com to catch previous episodes. Subscribe to our mailing list and visit our online store. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin.
Healthcare Americana is brought to you by Freedom HealthWorks and Freedom Doc. If you've been struggling to get the care you need and the access you want, it's time to join your local Freedom Doc. Visit freedomdoc.care to find the practice location nearest you. Whether you're a patient's employer or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.